This morning, Dave is teaching from Galatians 3, 7 through 18. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does, not, who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Man, I feel like we could pray and be dismissed. So we had church here just a minute ago. Anybody agree with me there? That was amazing. Um, thanks, Scott and Kelly, for leading. Um, so we're in this journey uh, called Broken Religion, where we're trying to understand how religion kills and the gospel brings life. And so um, we're continuing through. We're in Galatians chapter 3, so you can turn there in Galatians chapter 3. Um, I want to kind of catch you up to where we've been, what we've been looking at um, as we've walked through this series so far. This is message number seven, and we're about, uh, I guess, halfway through the book of Galatians, and we've been spending a lot of time um, dealing with the idea that Paul is um, concerned, and so he writes this letter to the Galatian believers with some concern that they, on a fundamental level, here's what they're concerned about, is that they believe they can do some type of moral behavior to gain God's acceptance. Um, that by following the law, the letter of the law, the do's and don'ts of the law, God will then all of a sudden uh, be pleased with them. And so Paul's boldly coming at them and saying, stop, stop. That's not the gospel. That's not the love that God has for you. And so we've seen, we've talked a lot about the, the dangerous allure of broken religion that really we can get God in this box, we can control God in such a way um, that we can uh, really play him how we want as opposed to the gospel really forces us to, to lay bare. It forces us to, to trust, doggone it, <laughs> forces us to trust in something bigger than us a God who has sovereign purposes, a God who um, invites by his grace all kinds of people, not just a special elite you know, class of people, but all kinds of people. He invites them in. We saw last week how Paul was greatly concerned about the church being tricked into believing the lies of broken religion. And so um, here's what I want to do today is I want to break our time together up into two sections. Um, the first section, really, it's going to be uh, 
it's going to be kind of a fire hydrant, okay? So I'm just going to warn you. Um, you're going to have to just hone in because um, I just want to walk through the text and I just want to dive in and study together. And so it's going to kind of be the head. I'm, I'm not going to do a lot of application. I'm not going to like try to probe your heart. I'm going mean, to the Spirit's going to, but it's just going to be a lot of, man, here's, um, let's see what the scriptures say. Let's study the word together and submit ourselves to the authority of the Bible. Um, and then in a little bit, We'll probe, we'll ask the Lord to probe our hearts and think about what, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my life? How does this impact who I am and what God's calling me to do or how I might perceive him or misperceive him? And so and let me pray real quick before we go any further. God, I thank you for this unbelievable opportunity you've given us to sit before you. And God, I pray and I beg by your spirit that you'd move, that you'd take words on a page that are eternal and reveal the heart and character and nature of God and you would probe and change us. God, you take the mess of a man that I am and do mighty things by your spirit. Um, So God, uh, we surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So go to Galatians chapter 3. Here's where it starts in verse 7. It says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foresees that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preaching the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, if you've been around church at all, you're familiar with Abraham, right? Um, he's, he's a father. He's the father of our faith, Father Abraham. What did he have? He had many sons, right? Many sons had Father Abraham, right? I'm one of them. So are you. There we go. Sorry. If, if you have no clue what just happened, bless you. Bless you. Um, but, but really, Abraham is the, the patriarch of our faith, and that's what we're, we're going to see today, that, that Abraham, that believers are descendants of Abraham, that if you're a believer in Jesus today, you are a believer because of the faith of, of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham. What an amazing reality that because of his faith, the gospel came forth as God persevered it through mankind to get to you and to me. And so who, who is this guy named, named Abraham? So let me, let me just walk through his story real quick. In Genesis chapter 12, we see the story of Abraham begin to unfold. And here's how it goes down to Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. And so, so here's this guy who, uh, like 75 years old, uh, really, uh, you know, when you're at that age, like you're settled, right? Like you're just, this is where we're at. And God says, I'm going to uproot you and I'm going to send you out. But you don't really have a clue what I'm going to do with you or where I'm going to take you. You're going to have to trust me. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in, all, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Like that's pretty big deal, right? 
Can you imagine God coming to you and God speaking this promise over you like that? Now, if you're familiar with your Bible at all, if you're not, don't worry about it. I'm going to walk us through it. But the journey forward, Abraham's life is marked incredibly by defeat, by fear, insecurity, by famine, by death, by deception, and terrible choices on Abraham's part. Sin is everywhere in his story. That's what's crazy about it. When you look at the story of Abram, you're like, the father of our faith? Like, you know you got a dad, like, you want to talk about it? You're like, man, my dad's, oh, like, there's like, you look at Abram and you're just like, mm. there's parts of his story, like, I don't, I don't think I want my friends to know about dad like that, right? It's, it's all over the place. But here's what's amazing is that God's promise and God's presence was greater. His promise and his presence was bigger than the mess of his life and the feebleness of his, of his faith. Scriptures say Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In the Genesis chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. All right, so at this point, Abraham's freaking out, trying to figure out what, like, where am I going? What am I doing? What is this journey going to look like? And, and God says to him, fear not, the number one command in all of the Bible, fear not. Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And so um, Abraham's like, okay, God kind of resettles into, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to, you know, and so he's still trying to figure it out, still trying to, to trust what God has, what God's doing but at every turn, he still questioned God. His life was deeply marked by complaint, by, God, what are you doing? And here, check this out, 10 years in, 10 years into the promise we just read in, Gen- in Genesis chapter 12, he, he freaks out. Him and his wife freak out. They're like, God doesn't know the fact that you can't bear a child. I got an idea. So if you ever get to that place in your life where you like come to the grips that God maybe doesn't know something and you have an idea that you think is going to settle it, let's just be honest. It's going to go bad, okay? So that's what, that's what Sarai and Abram did when Sarai's like, I got an idea. Why don't you sleep with the maidservant and then we'll have a child? Okay? Child's name is Ishmael, okay? I'm not going to go into it in depth, but you go and you study the line of Ishmael and the turmoil that exists to this day. Traces to the Middle East, much of the Muslim world and all of the war and the struggle that's going on across our world is because of the terrible choice of the father of our faith to not trust God. But God's promises and his presence are greater than man's failure. That's the beauty of the gospel is that God takes broken, terrible people so that no one can look at Abram and be like, what an amazing guy. But everyone by looking at Abram would turn around and say, what an amazing God. What an amazing God. And then in Genesis chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, Walk before me and be blameless that I may make covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then right thereafter, 
an angel appears to his wife and says, you're going to have a child. You're probably familiar with the story. They named, they named him Isaac. What does Isaac mean? Laughter, because Sarah laughs when she was told by the angel, you're pregnant. Like, I'm a hundred years old. God, does that, do you understand what that means? She laughed. And God fulfilled on his promise like he always does. And I want you to see this image because 42 generations later, put that, put that um, genealogy up there, 42. So um, probably can't see it. Top left is Abraham. Follow the line, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, all the way down, up, down, up, down, all the way to the line of Jesus. 42 generations later, Abraham believed in the same thing that we believed in. As Christians, the promises of God that pointed to Jesus. That's that's what we believe in, right? The promises of God that point to Jesus. Verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So the law, it enslaves us. It puts us under a curse. Deuteronomy 27, 26 actually says that sin is a curse. Um, let, me, let me just walk through several things about curses a little bit. Some of this I'll put up on the screen just so you can kind of get a big picture of um, when the Bible talks about curses, what kind of things are happening. So oftentimes it involved, it was to invoke evil or injury against your enemies. Okay, it's not, not, it's not equated with the modern idea of cursing, like the verbal cursing, okay? Um, very different. Um, curse was the opposite of a blessing. We see it in numerous places in the Old Testament. Um, among the Hebrews, a curse was vowed within a covenant framework overseen by God. So was, there was a relational tie to a, to a curse. It was spoken for the sake of justice, right, on your enemies. Spoken for the sake of justice. In the Old Testament, the curse was an integral part of that covenant relationship. To break the terms of a covenant was to merit the covenant curse. The curse would be retracted um, by pronouncing a blessing. So the opposite of the curse was a blessing. So by pronouncing a blessing, a curse would be removed. And oftentimes individuals would put a curse on themselves in order to show the truthfulness of their their word. Um, Some different instances of curses in the Bible. God curses the serpent and Adam and Eve. Familiar with that in Genesis 3. In uh, Cain in Genesis 4. Um, God cursed, put a curse on those who would, uh, who would curse the patriarch Abraham, the father of faith, in what we just read in Genesis chapter 12. And God would put a curse on those who would put their trust in human strength. Okay? So that's all, all often, right? We put our trust. That's what this passage is arguing for, is we put our trust in human strength, in our effort. And we submit ourselves to the curse of the law, the curse of sin. What about the New Testament? Uh, we see this idea of a curse in the practice of what's called excommunication, which would be declaring someone outside the redeemed community. Okay, or instances where, where individuals, um, because of their sinfulness, were delivered over to Satan. Um, 
But here's what's awesome is the blessing of repentance would always be the removal of the curse, which is still true today, which is the truthfulness of the gospel, that through repentance we're set free. Um, Paul, this is amazing, um, in Romans 9, Paul said he wished to be accursed. He's like, so that if, if, if my friends could come to know the truthfulness of the gospel, I would, I would submit to a curse if they could be set free. That's love. And then the amazing reality of Revelation 22, where the New Testament promises that there will come a day when there will be no more curse. There will be no more sin. We will be set free. And so Paul says in verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So here's the problem is if, if, if cursed is everyone who does not abide by everything written in the law, that's us, right? That's all of mankind. Because I, I don't know about you, but I, I've missed a couple. A lot. All of them. Like we could just walk through the Ten Commandments and we could show how all of us have really violated all of them. And those are like the bare minimum standard. Right? And so here's what he's doing. Here's what Paul's doing. He's he's coming so pastorally, such like a friend, putting his arm around someone he deeply cares about. And he's telling the Galatians, stop enslaving yourselves. Stop submitting to a system and a structure that's what I came to set you free from. Actually, what I came to fulfill through my, through Jesus' perfect life. Stop focusing on law observance. Because that's contrary to this blessing of Abraham that we've talked about and we've seen about. Romans 4 says the law brings wrath. Romans 7 says that that it's what holds us captive, but by the Spirit we're set free. Okay, so hear the heart of the Apostle Paul here, deeply burdened, deeply loving these individuals saying, stop, You're, you're living, you're carrying a weight that you were never intended to carry. Look at verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. So Paul's reminding the Galatians, the truth is that we're all lawbreakers, okay? which is why Christ had to come to die. And submitting to a broken religion system will only perpetuate the problem. Okay, listen, broken systems can't save us. We try it all the time, right? Like, if only the right leader would be in charge of that system, then we'd be okay. If only the right governmental leader, if only the right educational leader, if only the right religious leader, if only the right... Well, the problem is that guy is a broken, terrible, sinful human being that's only going to perpetuate sin down through the system, right? And Paul's saying, there's an alternative, And it's believing in something bigger than us. It's believing in the only one who doesn't screw it up. But came to bring hope and transformation in the midst of the brokenness. And will one day ratify it all together. 
He says the alternative is the life of faith. That the righteous should live by faith. So this was to mark everything about them. He's like, the righteous shall live by faith. So what that means is that my life as a righteous person, which I'll get into here in a little bit, is that it's the essence of my, of my everyday being. Of everything that I am. Look at verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit. Here's what's amazing. Abraham is the Old Testament prophecy of the gospel. Because he wasn't an Israelite, he was a pagan. Not my people, become my people through the work of the gospel. Not welcome, become welcome. Not okay, become okay. Because of who Jesus is. This is what Paul is trying to get through to the believers in Galatia. That you're submitting yourself to this divine curse, which is a result of disobedience, and that this curse would be removed, the burden of this curse would be, be removed. And he's pleading with them to live free, to not live under the curse, because Christ became the curse. He's saying, don't, don't go back to prison after you've been set free. Don't sit on death row when someone's already taken your spot. And the Old Testament believers knew that one day there would be this thing called the Holy Spirit that would come and, and, and seal the deal. Right? Like that's a promise. The promised Holy Spirit and then Paul goes into this example in 15 through 19. And here's what he's saying. He points out the fact that the law came after the promise. So the first thing that came was the promise of God. And that once the promise of God is, in, is set into place, nothing thwarts that. Nothing changes that. Okay, the Sinai covenant, which is what happened when the Ten Commandments were given to Abraham... It was an interim covenant. It was a temporary covenant that didn't contradict the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. It didn't come in, in, in clash, but was actually to be a means to pointing out the fact that there's sin and that we need some help outside of ourselves. The law didn't cancel the promise. It didn't. We see in this passage that God is a God of promise and the law came because of sin. And salvation rests not on the keeping of rules but on the promises of God. Now, let's deal with the heart a bit. So, one of my kids' favorite things to do is to play video games. Anybody else? Sweet. So, and I love to let them play. Like, we'll be like, man, great job. You earned extra video game time. And so uh, what's crazy is, so they got multiplayer. Uh, Minecraft is there, just their world. And, uh, and so they, they'll, they'll be downstairs and they'll be playing. 
And here's the way it'll work. Let's just, um, let's just act like these chairs here um, are, the, are the TV, okay? So there'll be three of them, um, and they each have their own remote, and they each have their own little portion of the 40-inch TV. Okay, and they'll be playing, and they'll just be like having a blast, having a blast, having a blast, and they're playing, they're playing, they're playing, they're playing. And before you know it, they're like, All three of them. I come downstairs and I'm like, back up. And, and literally, no lie. Here's what they do. Here's what they do. Like, they, they don't even know it. Right? Like, they just, they, they scoot forward, scoot forward, scoot forward. They're so into it. And when I say back up, they're like, oh. They're not like, Why? Well, kind of, but you know what I mean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they, they're so focused. Here's what I want to do. I want to point out three things that I believe the Spirit wants to awaken us to back up a little bit and see the picture. Okay? That we're so focused on the little, the little, the little, the everyday, the everyday, and God wants to back us up a little bit and see the framework of the gospel and invite us into a life that's marked in so much greater of a way by his work than our own as he beckons our faith forward. Here's the first thing. Your faith matters. That's what I see here. So I think this, this passage is pointing out that your faith matters. You're like, what in the world do you mean? Two verses in verse 7 and verse 9. Verse 7 says, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And then verse 9 it says, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. I want you to see this. Cooper, put that, put that image back up. Okay. Could we all agree that the faith of Abraham made a difference? Okay, I, I don't care if, if your faith is like, if you're Abraham and you're like, no one's believed before me. No one's trusted God or known God or spoke of God before me. Or if you're David and you have generations before you who have paved the way for you to understand the truthfulness of God and to live out the truthfulness of God, here's the reality. Is that your faith matters. The impact and the work of God in your life and your choice to believe will impact somebody. Okay, 42 generations later, okay, let's just be honest, we're not going to get a Jesus out of you or out of me, right? 42 generations later, like, there's another Jesus because of my belief. Like, okay, but the truthfulness is this, that in 42 generations... Unless Jesus comes back sooner than that, someone will be impacted by your choice to believe God today. Someone will be impacted by your choice to step forward in faith when you're not sure that there's something to step on there. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Your faith matters, but secondly, and even probably to a greater extent, 
Your faith is a gift. I think sometimes we can be just flippant about the fact that if you're a Christian, you believe God. Not all the time we have doubts and we have struggles and we lose sight of the fact that the fact that you believe is actually the grace of God on your life removing you from the curse of sin. Like, what's the greatest gift you've ever received? Think about that. Okay, like, you don't don't need to say it out loud or give me a Jesus saying, Jesus. Think about, like, what's the most amazing gift? You're like, man, that was just so, gosh, I'm so grateful for what you did for me. You feel the weight of that, right? Your faith is a gift. That's what verse 11 talks about. Now it is evident that no one is justified by God, and no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Faith is used six times in this passage that we walked through, 14 times total in chapter 3. Okay? Listen, God's removed. Jesus has stripped away all the barriers of faith. He stripped them all away. He's put them all in himself. Nothing is stopping you from believing but you. And the depth of your surrender and the shortfalls of your surrender, nothing. God, Jesus has stripped it all away. And he said, come on. You don't got to carry the weight. You don't got to clean yourself up. You don't got to figure yourself out. You don't got to mastermind the next 10 years of your journey. I got it. Because faith's a gift. Listen, and every attempt of yours to please the Lord in your own effort is you climbing up on that cross again. And verse 13 makes it clear. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Like you want to live under the curse? Try to, try to, try to step in Jesus' place. That's what we do all the time when we fail the trust, when we fail the trust and surrender. Jesus took the curse. Quit hanging yourself. Listen, faith is a blessing. It's a gift from God. I just, put, I just put these two little lists together. The difference between living by the curse and living by the law and what enables, what brings about bondage. What brings about freedom. I'll let you read those. They're also in your bulletin. But the whole passage kind of contrasts the blessing and the curse. But the last thing I want to dive into is this idea that your, your faith is life-giving. Now, there's no denying the fact that the faith that God worked through the person of Abraham was life-giving, right? Like, from that line, like, the blessings of generations and generations that would bring about the line of Jesus, that would bring about the, the faith and the, the fact that we sit here today, that's life-giving, But let's flip this phrase in verse 11 around that the righteous shall live by faith. Think about it like this. The one who by faith is righteous will live. Okay? Righteousness is an identity. Like we we need to realize that. And if you're in Jesus Christ, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your identity is righteous. Like I'm sure right now you're thinking about all the things you need to do to be righteous. Like, man, if I did this better, if I did this better, if I did like, right? Stop. Declared righteous in Jesus Christ. Like when we play that game in our mind, what we're doing is we're saying the work of Christ just wasn't quite good enough to defeat this area of sin in my life. 
We're submitting to the curse of sin. Declared righteous. It's not saying if, if, if you want to be righteous, you better have better faith. Better believe a little bit more. Really, what it's saying is you better own up to the fact that you, your belief is pretty, pretty weak. That my belief is pretty feeble. But God, I just don't believe that you're big enough to do what you want to do. I just don't trust you that you're big enough to actually defeat the fears of my life. I just don't believe that you're big enough to conquer the the turmoil in my city, the turmoil in my heart, the turmoil in my family. I just don't believe you're big enough. And God says your faith will impact somebody. Your choice to believe will impact somebody. In Christ, you're already righteous. In Christ, he says, you're good enough. Look, who cares the lies that other people are trying to get you to believe? Who cares the lies that your, your subconscious is trying to get you to believe? In Christ, you are good enough. He's continually drawing you in and drawing you in and drawing you in and drawing you in to the fact that that faith would then begin to trickle out into how you live your life. Right? Because the righteous actually live by faith. Faith actually trickles into every area of our life. So in how we make decisions, in forgiving our enemies, the way we change diapers, the way that we win and lose, how we handle success and failure, how we study, how we spend our money, how we save our money, how we love the poor, how we love the rich, it affects everything. How we think, how we talk, how we dress, how we act. The righteous live by faith. Not to gain a righteous status, but to live out the faith that God's worked in us. Because faith consumes everything. Jesus is the king of everything. But here's the struggle. Is that we are desperate for control. Tozer in his book, The pursuit of God, he says it amazingly when he says this. Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now by nature no peace in their hearts for God is crowned there no longer and there in the moral dusk, stubborn and aggressive usurpers fight among themselves for first place on the throne. Listen, all over the place, we're grabbing for control, we're grabbing for control, we're grabbing for control. The righteous don't live by control. The righteous live by the fact that we're free to be out of control because God's in control. And we can rest. So I would just encourage you to think on this thought, where is your heart, where in your heart are you grasping for control? And if you're like me, my immediate answer to that question is, I'm not sure. So ask the Spirit to reveal that to you. Because the very essence of the life of faith is saying, I can't do it. It's coming to the end of yourself. That's the life of faith. It's, I don't know what the future looks like, but here's where God's leading. And so I'm stepping. It's God showing you the path right here. He's not showing you here. He just lightened the step in front of you. God, I'm going to take it because my choice to believe is going to impact somebody generations down the line.
Faith is putting yourself in a situation where if God doesn't come through, you're in deep, deep trouble. And I'll just tell you, he's never failed anybody. He's always come through. Listen, there will come a day, according to Revelation, where there will be no more curse. But listen, until that day, we trust. We press in. We cling tightly, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. I just want to end with words from a song that I came across this week. I just believe the Lord will use these words. Listen, broken religion forces us to worship a God that doesn't exist. Broken religion forces us, it enslaves us to worship and pursue a God that doesn't exist. The life-giving gospel enables us to let go and trust. Look at these words. We have sought the truth when we've felt the pain, even wandered beyond our faith in the name of We cannot pretend we are always okay. We cannot depend on fast food grace. And here it is. Help me let you go. Help me give up control of the God I have made you when my fear has contained you. When the way is unclear and the answers elusive, he is different by far. Than our broken conclusions. You are not the God my pain has conceived. You are deeper and stronger than my eyes can see. Let's pray. God, you are incredible. And God, I'll just admit I am weak and I doubt you every day. And I doubt your greatness and I doubt your promises. Yet you are steadfast like you were with Abraham to carry forward the work of hope in our world, the work of hope in our hearts. God, and you're wooing and you're pursuing us even right now in this moment. So God, help us to let go. God, help us to give up control to the false God we've come to believe and live enslaved to. God, free us. Free us today to just take a step forward. Joyful obedience love and surrender to a God who's not out to get us but is so for us how amazing you are God would you move and would you save us today we pray in Jesus name